The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Elliot Wagenheim. Elliot's a nationally recognized lawyer, marketing strategist, and advisor to entrepreneurs and businesses. He's the author of Fire, Aim, Ready Management, which presents an approach to crushing competition, crafting culture, and cementing relationships that's based in Elliot's real-world experience with business success stories. We're going to talk about how you can find, articulate, and execute on your mission both inside your company's walls, through your employee practices, and in how you portray your business to the outside world. Elliot, welcome. I'm so honored to host you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm very intrigued by how you identify yourself as an entrepreneur who happens to be a lawyer and would love to hear more about that. Well, you know, the legal profession is known as a very cautious, backwards-looking profession. And by backwards-looking, I mean that lawyers are always taught to figure out how to deal with complex issues in 2016 by figuring out what the court did in 1998 or 1987 or 1787. So we look backwards. And that is really not conducive to being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur looks forward figures out new ways to address challenges. And to give you an example of of where this separation really came home to me, it was right at the time that I graduated from law school, uh, which was way back in 1987. Uh, My sister had given me a coffee mug, and the coffee mug read, I'm a business lawyer. I keep exciting things from happening. (laughs) And I just... I've kept that on my desk for almost 30 years now to remind me of exactly what I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to, to tell my clients, well, you know, if you try this new approach, it's really risky, so why don't we just stick with the way people have always done it? That's the exact opposite of what I want to do, and that's why I say that, yes, I have a law degree, and yes, I've, I've practiced law for a long time, but... I've always started my own businesses. I love innovation and and the entrepreneurial spirit, and so I prefer to characterize myself as an entrepreneur who just happens to be a lawyer. I can see how you bring tremendous value to your clients because you have that base that's really grounded in the law, and then at the same time, it offers you a lot of creative freedom. Yeah, it does. Um, I, 
I agree. I, I like having the base so I can take a look at, well, what are the risks here? But if we just stop at the realization that there are risks, then we'd never get anything accomplished because all business, anything worth doing, really, um, has risk associated with it. And so rather than just start with, well, there are risks involved, um, and, and then allow the conversation to end, you've got to figure out, okay, well, now that we've identified the risks, now let's, let's look to our business skills, entrepreneurial skills, and figure out how to go over, under, or around. So how does this relate to the fire, aim, ready approach that you have to helping companies to establish and deliver on their missions? Well, the fire, aim, ready approach uh, really builds on what Stephen Covey's second habit is. You know, the seven habits of highly effective people. And the second habit is start with the end in mind. And I find that when I work with businesses and entrepreneurs, too many people fail to articulate what the end is. And, and by end, I don't mean I'm going to earn a billion dollars and, and buy my own island and retire. I, I mean something much more real. I, I mean writing a script. So, for example, if, if you wanted to um, attract the next rock star employee, what the end is, to figure out why these people would love it there. So let's envision a conversation between one of your employees and the rock star you're trying to get into your place. And so that rock star says to your existing employee, why should I work there? Right there, that's your opportunity. Write that script. What would you want your employee to say? Well, the organization fosters this, and it does this, and it allows you to do that, and... We do the other thing. In other words, you want somebody outside of your hearing and certainly outside of a marketing brochure to give your pitch, exactly the pitch you want, to your next rock star. So that's the end. That's the fire. That's, that's the end of the process. What do you want it to be? And then, now that you know the end, now you go back and you build your organization in order to make that script not only possible, but inevitable. You've got to put those things in place that would really perk up the ears of your rock star prospect. And so that's what I mean. And you can do that for contracts. You can do it for the person you're evaluating to go into business with as a partner. You can do it with, with hiring. You can do it with management. But you have to figure out what the end is and then go back and make it happen the way you want it to. It makes sense. That's very strategic that you have to decide on your lens. And then when you have that lens of what it is that you're looking to bring forth to the world, why your company and what it offers has value to people, then you make all your decisions, who it is that you hire and other decisions related to your business through that same lens. So there's synchronicity. Right. And that's exactly right. And it's, it's, not just in hiring, even on something mundane like a contract. When a client would call me and say, hey, can you draft a contract for this initiative or that initiative? Or can you look over a contract that I'm thinking of signing with this person or that organization? I'll ask two questions. One of them is, 
if we signed this contract exactly the way it's written, can you tell me a story? Tell me why you would call me in eight months or a year asking me to get you the heck out of this contract. What's your horror story? Why would you realize that, geez, I, I made a bad deal. i got to get out of this. And sometimes the story is, well, he didn't pay me. But sometimes it's, well, if they didn't perform the way I wanted them to. Okay, well, what's that? What does that mean to you? Well, if they didn't do X or they didn't do Y or they were late on Z. or, And I find that a lot of times the elements of that story, which are so critical to my clients, are nowhere to be found in the contract. And so then the second question I ask them is, okay, if we get into this arrangement, tell me why you would tell me in a year that, geez, you know what? Signing this contract was the best professional decision I made in the last five years. What would make you say that? And then they tell me a story about that. And I have to ask them, okay, that's your best case scenario. Have you communicated that to the other side, that this is really what you want to get out of it? Not just the job is finished, but this would be knocking it out of the park. And a lot of times the answer is no. And so people shortchange themselves on both ends. They don't adequately communicate the best case scenario, and they don't adequately protect themselves from the worst case scenario. I would think that your clients say to you, they would ever ask me these questions before. Yeah, a, a, lot, of time, <laughs> a lot of times I do get that. But, um, and, and there's a different mindset because sometimes they'll come in and they'll say, okay, I just, I just want you to draw up this contract. I say, you know, I can draw up the contract, but why don't we just take a little bit more analysis and draw up something that actually works as opposed to just something that fills space and allows you to check off a box. Right, especially when you're looking to make decisions and move things forward quickly, those kinds of things have long-term ramifications. So if on the onset you're structuring them such that they align with your mission and they position you to be successful, it makes all the difference. It does. And so many people um, will be in such a hurry on the front end that they'll do things that will cause them just an incredible amount of time and agony on the back end. And, and I'm not talking about delaying something. Well, I know you want to get something done today. If we just delay it six months, then we can get it right. I'm not talking about months or weeks, maybe a day, maybe a couple hours. But just if you put in a little more time at the front end to figure out what's really important and tell yourself those stories, envision the end of the process then you can go back and prepare the process to, to call for a much, and make inevitable, a much better end. That's why it's called fire aim ready. How much is this a moving target? This whole issue of defining the mission and then aligning the contracts and all of the other aspects of the business with the mission. Because if you look at a business across its continuum and its growth and its intention and efforts to be innovative. And I'm thinking that, too, you, do you work both with startups and, of course, then with established companies? I do, yes. What happens then when you come into an established company and they need to revisit the mission? Well, an established company has several advantages over a startup because an established company 
if they look in the right places, has information on what worked well and where they've utterly failed. So, um, you know, for example, it was funny. I was listening to uh, the Ravens game, the Baltimore Ravens football game yesterday, which is an exercise in masochism in and of itself. But, <laughs> um, but I was listening to it, and they, they had fired their offensive coordinator, and their new offensive coordinator had said, well, you know, we haven't been running the ball very effectively, but I was looking at our offensive line, and there are three running plays that we run really well. Now, I don't know how many running plays are in the playbook, but he identified three that we do really well. Well, an existing business has that advantage. An existing business can often say, you know, we do these things really well, but we haven't been able to break into this market at all, or more to the point, this type of client, this type of customer, is just not somebody that we serve well. Um, and so one of the, the primary points of analysis for an established business, and we do this with startups too, but established businesses have more data, is who do you, where do the, where do the Venn diagram, you know, when you have the circle of the community we want to serve, the community we're built to serve, the community we live to serve, that one circle, where does that intersect with the community we really serve well? And by serving well, you have to figure out what that means. Because it may mean the community from, from which we get the most money. We have the highest profit margin. It may mean the community that we just love to serve. It may mean it's the community that gives us the best quality of life or the community that allows us to make the most impact. Whatever that is, where those two circles meet, what do we love to do, what do we do well, etc., where they meet, that's your diagram of your best customer. That's, that's the one that you're meant to serve. And now we, we go out and we talk to them. Um, in an age of social media where everybody is a tweet away. You can do a direct message. You can text. You can put a Facebook post. You can do Survey Monkey. You can do all of these things. In my experience, nothing replaces a cup of coffee because once you've identified the customers you love, your best customers, and you sit down and you say to them, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't want to open your I don't want to ask you to open your checkbook. Here's my situation. I love working with you. I I built my company in order to work with you and if I could wave a magic wand, I'd have 10 of you. Can you give me advice? What is it that I can do to make myself really invaluable to you? What is it that I can do to make it so that I'm so top of mind that you turn to somebody who's positioned like you and you say, geez, thank God I'm working with Elliot, and let me tell you why. What does that conversation look like? And if you have a couple of those lunches, a couple of those coffees, and you just listen, you can begin to figure out how you lay the foundations of your company in order to serve these people from tip to tail. 
They're going to give you the recipe. You just have to ask for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like also it's a recipe for a growth strategy for existing companies. Essentially, if you're meeting certain needs with customers, then you need to tap into that customer base and better understand what other needs they have that you could also meet. That's exactly right. And, you know, I'll use my own law firm as an example. For the first, I don't know, four, five, six years, you know, when I started the law firm, what I wanted to do was keep the lights on and pay my mortgage. I wanted to keep food on the table. I wanted to get paid. And I didn't mean, you know, home on the south of France and my yacht paid. I just mean to get paid. I wanted to be able to make a mortgage payment and, and uh, if I was lucky, go on vacation with my family every once in a while. Um, and so I would take in matters that I could do but I wasn't as discriminating. I would just take in clients that I could help, and, and they had the resources to pay, and, and we would go forward. But after a while, when I was still running a, a growing business, but I wasn't as worried about, geez, can I make payroll, or, or am I going to keep the lights on, and geez, I hope I can make rent this month. And I had the luxury to start working, as they say, on the business. I started to, I printed out lists of my clients, and I started to make different colored marks by them, figuring out who I loved to work with. And also those who, for one reason or another, you know what, just didn't hit my sweet spot. I didn't do a great job, or I, I, it took me too long to do something, so I really had to cut down my fees because it wasn't fair, you know, and I couldn't bill them for all the time. I looked at the things that I thought I did incredibly well versus the things I thought I did eh, fine with. Um, and I started honing in on the ones that got all of the stars. You know, the ones where I loved working with them. I thought I did a great job. I, I would love for them to write all about their experience with me and the results because I know that that put my best foot forward in the market I wanted to serve. And then I could start to sculpt my, my business, not to take everybody in just to keep the lights on, but to really expand in the areas that gave me the most joy and the most success. Yeah, you have your, the satisfaction built in there. Right, where you right. really, it's not just about business. It's really about what's fulfilling to you, where you see the alignment that exists in you and your clients between the two of you, and you're really building very solid, important relationships. Right. That, that's exactly right. And so you get a chance to, to do something that you want to be known for. So, for example, again, going back to my law practice as an example, I, um, I don't want to be general counsel to Under Armour or General Motors, or, you know, these huge organizations. And don't get me wrong, they're not beating down the door to come to a law firm in Hunt Valley, but, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be general counsel to them because I'd be a small cog in a large machine. What really excites me are smaller, innovative companies. And so knowing that about myself, I, I don't chase the, the large players and try to... Um, trying to 
go after the stationary, that would be that would be impressive to me. I get to chase the people that are doing really cool things. And that's the competitive advantage is where your values and your own mission intersect with those of your clients. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I speak their language because I get excited at the things that, they w- that would get them excited. Mm-hmm. So uh, just a quick question, actually, before we go to commercial is, how, do you, how often would you recommend that, that companies explore this process of connecting with their customer to get feedback about their needs? You know, I don't think that they... I view it like working out, or like people should work out. Um, meaning that if you just decided that you were going to get in shape, so you're going to work out intensely for a two-week period once a year, you're not going to do anything except make yourself sore. I view it as, as a constant. And so in any one-week period or two-week period even, I would say, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm touching base with people, with my, with my clients, with my customers, with people that are doing cool things, with just innovators, going out with them at least three or four times. Don't eat at my, you know, I don't want to eat at my desk alone. So find people, even if I go through Smart CEO Magazine and Baltimore Business Journal and other magazines to find local people and social media, and if I see write-ups on them or companies that I think are really interesting, I'll call them up and I'll say, look, I'm not trying to sell you legal services. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just made it my business to expand my network to meet with people that I think are really interesting. Can I take you out for a cup of coffee? And I've got about a 70, 80% hit rate on that just on a cold call. Um, So I don't think it's, well, make sure you do it once a year. I think you continue to do it because in the fullness of time, you'll realize, you know what? We're slightly to the right of our optimum target. Let's readjust. So we'll carry this message forth that it's the way that you do business. It becomes a constant in the practice of business. Yes, absolutely. We're going to go to a brief commercial. When we return, Elliot will provide guidance on structuring employee practices like recruitment and feedback processes to align with your company's mission. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hamda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda 
will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Elliot Wagenheim, a nationally recognized business lawyer, who also serves as a marketing strategist, mentor, and advisor to entrepreneurs, business owners, and their teams. Elliot provided pointers on how you can find and articulate your company's mission through the approach presented in his book, Fire, Aim, Ready Management. This segment will focus on what happens within the walls of your business, specifically ensuring that your employee practices, like recruiting and hiring, enable you to deliver on your mission. So, Elliot, what advice can you offer along these lines? <laughs> you know, I don't think that I get uh, questions in any area more than I do in HR. Hiring, recruiting, firing, all of that is just something that's so vexing for so many companies. So I can, I can break it down, if that's okay, um, into just a couple key a couple key points that I, I think that people should really think about. Um, the first one is that I always tell people to fire people before they hire them. And that sounds really strange. Let me explain for a second. Hiring people, if you've ever done it, if you've ever hired somebody, it's fun because the person wants a job you have a need you, you want filled. You want to give them a job. It's a happy interview. It's a happy conversation. Everybody's on the same page. You're looking forward to a honeymoon period. It's really great. But firing people is hard. And, and I've had to do it a number of times. And I'll tell you, if I know that on Wednesday morning I have to I'm going to have to have a conversation and let somebody go. Tuesday night, my stomach's in knots. I hate it because I know it's going to be an unpleasant conversation. And I know that there's a good possibility the person may look at me and say, but why? I, I thought it was going so, so well. I, I, I didn't see this coming. And, you know, I know that they may be wondering, well, how am I going to go home and tell my spouse that I lost my job or what am I going to do about my mortgage or my car payment? I mean, it's really an unpleasant situation. And so I know that I've got to be able to answer the, the why question. I've got to be able to say, well, 
because you lost the McCormick contract, because your customer satisfaction rating is below 93%, because you're over budget on your projects, you're behind schedule on your projects, whatever it happens to be. I've got to to have my ducks in a row to be able to answer that question. But what if before I hired them, before I extended my hand across the desk and had that handshake and were looking at, at them joining, what if I sat down in that meeting and I said, here's why I'm going to fire you. Now, you don't have to say it that way. You don't have to mm-hmm. say it in uh, that brusquely. But, but you look at somebody and you pretty much say, here's why I'm going to fire you. I'm going to fire you if you lose the McCormick contract. I'm going to fire you if your customer satisfaction rating is below 93%. I'm going to fire you if you're over budget or behind schedule on your projects. Now, that's not nearly as fun a conversation as it is normally when you hire somebody. But I can guarantee you that nobody would get up from that conversation unclear as to expectations. And so that's another example of putting the end first, fire, aim, ready. In this case, literally, fire, aim, ready. You've got to envision the end of the process. Why am I going to fire this person? And, you know, so few companies do that. They think, hey, I need a... um, I need a marketing director. And so they have somebody that has a good marketing resume, and, and they hire them. They have a rapport during the interview, whatever it happens to be. They hire that person. But they never really put down, and they say, you know what? If in three months we don't have 10,000 more Twitter followers or we don't ha- our online sales haven't increased by more than 20% or, or whatever the benchmarks is, if they don't sit down and, and figure out the benchmarks of when they'd be disappointed or call the person's job into question, then they're doing that person a disservice, and they're almost guaranteeing a blindsided conversation where they say, well, you know what, I'm firing you because our online sales are at 10%, and I really expected them to be over 20 That's what I paid you for. You don't want your, your new marketing director to look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? I, I was spending time in this other channel. I, I didn't know that, that, um, that my job depended on online sales. I was trying to get the brochures and the, for the trade expos next week done. So you have to figure out why you're going to fire these people, and so few companies do. It's a goal. Essentially, you're c- clearly communicating what the objectives are, and as you stated it, expectations. So... And taking into account also the space between the deal breakers and the deal makers, meaning that everyone has a learning curve, so you can allow for a learning curve, but you want to make sure that you're clearly communicating what it is that the person you're bringing on board needs to achieve. Yes, you do, and and so many hire by title and not by success metrics, so I'll know what I'm when I'm ticked off at, at this person. But I never really communicated to the other person, to, the, to that person. And she may be completely clueless as to the fact that I'm sitting in my office stewing about what I see as a lack of progress because from her perspective, she's making a ton of progress. She just 
she and I just didn't communicate on what I thought was the important area, and that's on me as as the employer. That's part of setting the employee up to be successful. Absolutely. It goes back to what we talked about before the break, which is just on contracts. Tell me why you would want to get out of this. Same thing with employment relationships. Tell me a story. Tell me why you'd want to fire this person that you're thinking of hiring. And tell the story. Don't just say if she fails to live up to our corporate standards. Tell a story. What is it that's going to get you really irritated? Or, conversely, tell me why in one year you're going to look, you're going to, you're going to kiss the ground that she walks on because she was the greatest hire you ever brought into your company. What would make you think that? And then tell her. So I would think that your second point then may have to do with the feedback conversation such that you don't want anyone ever to be in a position where they're surprised and shocked by the feedback that you give them and you're at that extreme point of needing to fire. Right. And so there are two parts of that. The first thing is that I have to tell you, and so many people get shocked at this, especially coming from a lawyer, I hate annual performance reviews. I tell my clients not to do them. I hate them. And here's the reason. In almost 30 years representing businesses, I can't tell you the number of judges and juries I've been in front of representing businesses on wrongful termination claims. I have never, never had a, an annual performance review entered as an exhibit on the company's side. There are always exhibits on the side of the aggrieved employee. And the reason is that they, they normally have something like, on a scale of one to five, one being horrible, five being excellent, rate the employee's job performance. And so this poor manager who's given this form, and it's probably broken down in a number of different areas, not just that one question. But that poor manager is sitting across from the person, either when he writes it down or to explain it in a subsequent meeting. And, and she thinks, you know what? If I say one, I'm going to have to fire this guy. I don't want to fire him. I don't even know that I have authority to fire him, so I'm not going to fire him, so I can't say one. I'm not going to say five because nobody's perfect. You know, if I say excellent now, what am I going to say next year? I mean, it can't always be excellent. I'm not going to say five. I'm not going to say two either because, you know, if I say two, either I'm going to have to fire him, it's going to be a really unpleasant conversation, or at the very least, we're going to have to go through so much to improve performance and put in a protocol and check back. I don't want to do that. I just don't want to make my life that miserable. So what happens is managers inevitably will vacillate between three and four. Four, pretty good. Yeah, I have no problems with you. Three, I have no problems with you. But, you know, even if I did, I'll still give you a three because at least a three I can, um, you know, point out some critiques, but, you know, you might be a little bit upset, but we get on with our lives. And so you have these substandard employees who are getting threes and fours, and, and four is good, and three is meets expectations, and um, all of a sudden they're fired. They said, look, I've had three years of consistent good evaluations, 
and now you're firing me. That's why I hate annual performance reviews, because that's inevitably the way it goes. There's not a clear feedback about the person's actual performance. No, it's it's not. Uh, And the other thing is that as the younger workforce comes up, you know, it's almost a cliche to say that that the the people entering the workforce now, think of the feedback they get. They post a picture on Instagram. They'll they'll run out for a cup of coffee and they'll come back and anxiously look at their phone to see how many likes they got. You know, these this is a generation, and our technology now enables it, of giving immediate feedback. And you're going to ask these people to wait for a year? So this is, and, and I think that's healthy. I don't necessarily think, you know, minute-by-minute feedback is healthy, but, but I think it's healthy not to wait for a year. I think you have to have a continuing conversation, and I think you have to make time for it. It's a priority. Um, so you schedule the time to check in with people um, at every level. And it doesn't have to be a two-hour, here's the agenda, here's the checklist, and whatever. But you have to check in, and you have to make sure their direct reports check in so that on an ongoing basis, people can get better. The only thing I like to do annually is, a, is hold a conversation from the employee's point of view. I want to know, when I'm sitting here on December 30th, 2016, I'm, gonna, I'm going to ask, or January 2nd, 2017, either one. I'm going to ask my employees, all right, it's now January 2nd, 2017. When, if we sit down on December 30th of 2017, what do you want to be better at? What do you want to look back on and say, I did this well, I learned this, I, I broke into this area, I expanded my horizons here? What do you want your victories to be that you're able to recount to me on December 30th of 2017? What, it, what are those? And if I have a good idea, then throughout the the year, I can say, hey, you remember, you really wanted to make sure that you were good at this. What, what are we doing? Let's, let's pick out something. What, what can we put in place to know that you will have taken a positive step toward that? Um, and so I like to have that annual long-term view and then constant check-ins to see, okay, well, where are we on, these, on the paths that you set up for yourself? So we actually need to go to commercial. So I'll recap and let me know if I'm getting this. So it seems like three parts. One is that you want to make sure that the feedback you give is aligned with the actual performance. You want to make it as immediate and ongoing as possible. And you also want to take a forward look and check in with the employee and have an agreement about what it is also that they would like to work toward. Right. That's exactly right. Okay, so that that positions us to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, Elliot will focus on how you can effectively display your mission to the outside world such that you attract and retain the core audience that values what you represent and what you offer. Stay with us for more.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you a professional athlete, a retired athlete, or other top performer who's seeking a new career? Explore how to transfer your talents and mission into a rewarding business with the expert guidance of Hamda Mizrahi. As a performance coach and generalist consultant to entrepreneurs, Hemda will support you and your family in your next major professional transition. Create a winning game plan by contacting her through lifeandcareerchoices.com. That's lifeandcareerchoices.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by Elliot Wagenheim, who's recognized nationally as a top business lawyer. Elliot also serves as a marketing strategist and organizational effectiveness advisor to entrepreneurs and business owners. He talked about the types of employee practices that are critical to executing on your mission. In this final segment, we'll discuss how you can display your mission to the outside world such that you attract and retain those who need and value what your business offers. So, Elliot, how do you guide your clients on their communication and marketing practices? Well, I, first I'll tell you, I recognize that it's kind of strange to, to have a lawyer talk about marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'd, and you'd be surprised at the number of, of clients and, and business people that come to me and kind of mutter to themselves, I can't believe I'm talking to a lawyer about marketing. <laughs> but um, here's what I tell them. I, I tell them that you have to focus on the second person and not the first person. Too much in the way of marketing materials is the first person singular or first person plural. I do this. We do that. Here's my biography. Here's my philosophy. Here's my approach. When really your marketing materials, your website, everything you do, should first be a mirror in which your best clients, your best customers can see themselves. You've got to make sure they see themselves, that you identify 
the problem that they're facing because they've reached out to you for some solution. And until you demonstrate you understand the problem and you can provide the solution, it doesn't matter whether you went to Harvard. It doesn't matter whether you won these cases in my world. It doesn't matter whether you were able to solve the technical difficulties of the NASDAQ stock exchange that handles a billion transactions every five minutes. I just want to know if you can solve my technical problems when I've got 10,000 transactions online a year. You know, so you've got to correctly identify the problem so that people can see themselves in, in their issue. It's, and what I, what I like to tell people is, just to, to kind of bring it home, I was thinking about this. I, about a, a couple years ago, I was, um, I was looking to put some cabinets up in my garage. And my garage, like a lot of people, has, you know, the masonry walls, you know, concrete walls. So I needed a drill bit. That would, I needed a masonry drill bit. I needed a, a power drill that I could use to put up these cabinets. And so I went to, um, to Home Depot, and I'm looking at all the shelves, and there's a whole row, a whole aisle of these power drills. And they, they're a dazzling array of, of colors and capabilities and prices and this kind of torque and chuckless drills and, and, you know, are they corded, are they not, and what can they do, and, and how they, the, the stability and how you can handle them. But here's what occurred to me, and I'm not alone in this. People don't buy drills. They buy holes. I didn't care about the drill. I cared about the hole. I wanted to put the holes in my masonry so that I could hang my cabinets. And it didn't matter whether the torque was this or the torque was that because I didn't know about that. I just knew the hole that I wanted to drill. And so too many businesses, they spend so much time talking about the drill. So I was working with this one company that does um, valuations, business valuations, property valuations. A lot of times they get involved in uh, buyouts or they get involved in um, uh, will, you know, heredity situations or whatever it is. They have to value these things. And they, they showed me their proposals, and they went into great detail on the different methodologies you can use to value a business. And it went on page after page, and it was a dizzying array of technical terms, and nobody who read that could walk away without having the impression that these guys really have immersed themselves in this trade. And it was the most boring thing ever. What they didn't answer right off the bat is, hey, look, if I don't want to get paid and if I don't want to get killed on taxes and I want a lower valuation within the boundaries of the law, of course, but I want a lower valuation, I don't want to get killed in taxes, and if it's called into to challenge by the IRS, can you guys substantiate it? That's that's the hole. Tell me that, that you can get that hole. And if you can, later on if I'm interested I'll ask you about the drill. So that's what I that's what I tell people. We look about we, we look at things from the point of view of the best customer. And if they can see themselves, then that's where you build off of. And too many people have that backwards. Right. It makes sense. Rather than focusing on you by 
putting most of your attention on what you're selling, you want to make sure that you're conveying in your communications and your marketing to the customer, I see you, I care about you, I understand what your problems are, and I can help you to resolve those problems. Right. That's exactly right. And, and the other main problem that, that companies have is that they tend to look right and they look left and they're only looking at their competitors and they put out almost exactly what their competitors do. So not too long ago I was at this, um, uh, it wasn't a trade show, it was like a, a big networking event. They had a speaker and in the, in the lobby, in the anteroom, they had a number of displays from the sponsors, you know, these tables. And so one of the sponsors was a large law firm, and so being a lawyer with my own law firm, I was interested in seeing what their materials would be. And so I looked at their brochure, and I have to tell you, it was gorgeous. I mean, the paper was a higher thread count than my sheets, and the, <laughs> the font and the, the colors. I mean, it was a really expensive piece. I could tell it was an expensive piece. But what I also knew was that if I could magically take their logo, their, the name of that firm, and wipe it away and insert some other large law firm, it wouldn't have made a darn bit of difference. It, there was nothing in there that was unique to the law firm that it, was, that it sought to advertise. What they said was all results-driven and responsive and value-oriented or whatever those buzzwords are. And there was nothing that said, why, why are we different? How would you know immediately that you're in our place and not in our competitor's place? What is it? And the reason they didn't do that is because it's really hard. It's easy to go to a, an advertising agency who doesn't really know law or doesn't really know industrial distribution or whatever you happen to do, but just knows kind of how to put together these brochures and will take pictures of great conveyor belts or your storefront or your, your doctors or your accountants or whatever it is and put together the same brochure because they're... They're not thinking of anything but doing glossy better. And so that's what I, would, that's what I tell people. If, if, if you think you're exactly the same, then that's fine for you. But if you think you're unique, you better figure out how to, a way to convey that. I guess that eliminates competition, in a sense, if you're able to identify to that combination of values and particular strengths and particular knowledge base and skills that you bring, how you're different, and who are the people you're compatible with. Right? That seems like you're inviting people, encouraging people. In order to be successful in your business, you need to be bold in declaring that. You do. I mean, look, if I went to Google right now, and I don't want to do that because you'll probably hear the tapping of the keys mm-hmm. uh, in the background, and it, it would probably drive your sound engineer nuts. But if I went to Google right now and entered, I happen to be based in Baltimore, so I entered Baltimore Business Lawyer. My bet is that I would come up with 642,000 results from Google. Not that there are 642,000 business lawyers in Baltimore, but just from all the blogs and all the articles and all the, however, Google's um, uh, formulas get there. But, but um, 
how in the world am I supposed to stand out amid 642,000 results if somebody's just typing in something generic for me? The answer is, I can't. So I've got to figure out, how can I become a class of one? How can I make it so that they're not searching for business lawyers in the United States? They're searching for Elliot Wagenheim. How do I make that? And once I figure out that key, then I'm not in competition with somebody else, meaning that nobody's going to leave me because I charge $5 an hour more than the guy, you know, one floor down. I've put myself, I've made myself a class of one, and that's what the key is. So we're leaving with this bottom line, make yourself a class of one, thereby eliminating your competition, or at least minimizing your competition. Right. That's exactly right. Elliot, thank you for this guidance. Hemda, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. And I also so much appreciate the resources that you're offering to help everyone who's listening to implement your suggestions. And one of them is Elliot's book, Fire Aim Ready Management, which is available through Amazon. And he's also very generously extended an opportunity if you email him through his website, which is farsightedbusiness.com, that's F-A-R-S-I-G-H-T-E-D, business.com, he'll send you a free bonus chapter and also a cheat sheet. And the, it includes a worksheet that will help you to figure out your mission and also to distinguish yourself from the competition. Elliot also provides guidance on another topic that's critical to business success, He offers an introductory course on business contracts. And I took a look at this, Elliot. So you have a series of nine lectures in which you cover how to draft winning contracts, negotiate well, and get what you want. Exactly. uh, It also takes some of the mystery out of the legalese that people see in standard contracts from the other side. And you can register for that by going to Udemy. Did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, (laughs) does the job, Udemy.com. Udemy. Okay, so if you go to Udemy.com and you do a search, and the exact URL actually is Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com, forward slash winning, W-I-N-N-I-N-G, dash with, dash contracts. And if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share your comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.